Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending March 11th, 2023. This week, Hollywood is burning, but in the subsequent fire sale, no one is buying. I'm Kim Hollis, hoping to trade for Carolina's number one pick. That sounds like sports. (laughs) It's sports. Sports. Sports, sports. With me are Tim Brighty, content creator, gamer, and winner of the Best Original Screenplay Oscar. Good job, Tim. Thanks. I'd like to thank my writing partner, George Santos. (laughs) (laughs) Also, David Mumpower, author of Disney Demystified, streaming media analyst, and ready to tear up his bracket. Here I am studying all the Kim Palm rankings, and I know I'm going to lose to someone who picks based on jersey colors. (laughs) Yep. And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burriel, who's 100 words away from having Tim be the new voice of his Siri assistant. Tim, can you say sassafras for me? What are you doing that would require your assistant to say sassafras? (laughs) (laughs) That's my business. But there you go. (laughs) At Warner Brothers Discovery this week, CEO David Zaslov and his top executives have modified their compensation plans so that bonuses will now be based on free cash flow. What does that mean? It means that their previous compensation plan, based on an increase in stock price, has failed miserably. And they now have further incentive to cut costs at Warner Brothers Discovery because every additional penny that they squeeze out of the company brings them closer to millions of dollars in bonuses. It's utter hubris. They cut everything they could in hopes that they could make the stock price of the company pop. Instead, they alienated the creative community and consumers alike, and the stock price languished. With that strategy now relegated to the dumpster, like so many other things at Warner Brothers Discovery, the executives have decided that they're going to reward themselves instead every time they bleed a few more pennies out of the company. Yeah, I mean, we can look to the past for this and know that it's no surprise. In 2014, Zaslav made that change to his compensation when he was making, you know, in the 30 million range a year, which is a staggering amount of money, by the way. He bet big on himself and his ability to control the balance sheet at Discovery. And this was his new MO. He signed a long-term contract wherein he'd reap the rewards for boosting marketing cap and adjusting his own personal deal for stock rewards each year as needed. The time he was riding high, Discovery had basically in a short period quadrupled from $5 billion in market cap to $21 billion. But his gamble didn't really pay off as Discovery fell back to $6.6 billion by 2017. Now, you can call that an unfair dip if you want. It quickly got back to $15 billion within the next year. But it didn't matter. Zaslav's contract strategy still paid dividends either way. He earned more in 2017 than he did in 2016, despite the 2017 struggles. He managed this because of some Something I think of as akin to compound interest. He'd give himself enough discovery equity to make him less vulnerable to market fluctuations. He's really smart about stock option rewards and protecting his own best interests. That might be his one true skill, actually, is making sure he makes his money. Obviously, the Warner Brothers Discovery merger has <clears throat> had its hiccups, but the new filing <laughs> looks like an attempt to align Zaslov's best interests with those of his underlings. He's got six individuals listed at the bottom of the filing who are going to earn 
earn somewhere between $1 million and $2 million if they max out, depending on their job titles. My sheer speculation here, although I don't think it's really going on a limb, is that anybody who doesn't immediately go hard for those incentives is probably going to get replaced over the next few quarters because Zaslav's going to see that their interests are not aligned with his. And it sure looks to me like David Zaslav just gave himself a random $11.5 million bonus for having his name dragged through the mud over the past 18 months. And God help me, he's adjusted his own contract to give himself a, I don't even know what to call this, a force multiplier for setting off a nuclear detonation on the spreadsheet in 2022. He's once again reset his contract to reward himself and not many other people in 2023 through 2025 for the table he set during the most recent fiscal year that we lamented all year long. Proving once again, David Zaslov only cares about David Zaslov. Yeah. Employee pain is profit to David Zaslov. That's the bottom line. There's no incentives here for the rank and file to to do better, to cut costs, to maximize profit. It's all about how at the top they can benefit from budget cuts at the company. It's, I said it, it's hubris. And we can't avoid discussing what this hubris is doing for the company's premium brand. As the merger between HBO Max and Discovery Plus looms, we keep seeing the inevitable nightmare scenario manifest itself. It's like watching a train wreck. It's super slow motion. Internal research at Warner Bros. Discovery has revealed that HBO Max is too premium for their Discovery Plus viewers. So after the merger, as we've discussed, Discovery Plus will continue as a separate streamer, but they're still going to rename the merged service. In all likelihood, the service will be called Max, dropping the HBO name to entice subscribers. They're promising thousands of extra shows, which are, of course, all the shovelware that comes out of Discovery Networks, the best of which is deadliest catch at Naked and Afraid, and the quality quickly declines after that. Yeah, and I have to say, shovelware is the perfect term for that, because If you ever do one of these giant bundles where you'll get like 30 games, you maybe want two of those games and the other 28, nobody was even trying. That's Discovery Plus as a brand. And so they're going to forcibly transfer it to HBO Max, even though their own survey data shows nobody wants that. The bottom line here is that they drop a bunch of premium shows like Westworld and Lovecraft Country, add a bunch of garbage, and they'll tell you you're getting a great deal. While the company implies that they're trying to protect HBO, an HBO streaming service with Discovery content would be a definite drop in quality for the brand. So just remove the HBO name from the streaming service. It sure looks like the company is doing the opposite. HBO has, for example, a first look deal with Sopranos creator David Chase. Anything he makes is going to be guaranteed quality. He's working on a new project on witness protection, and HBO has passed on David Chase's next project, FX. There are no fools. They immediately snapped up that project. So I don't understand how it is that they think Warner Bros. Discovery is protecting HBO when every move they make basically is contrary to what the brand would have been just years ago. Then here's what's maddening about the whole thing. This isn't even a hard question. Name the only two things anybody has talked about with HBO Max that were actual products rather than chaos behind the scenes. The only two things over the last year. The Last of Us and the uh, House of the Dragons. Exactly. That's it. That's the conversation. Those are HBO premium shows, the kind which they've built this entire streaming service around, and now they're trying to run away from it. What are they even doing at this point? In our deep dive, things are looking pretty bleak for Hollywood. 
studios are for sale, but nobody's buying. And even when there's an offer, deals aren't closing. Yep. The deadline Lionsgate set for itself to figure out what they're going to do with stars is coming up fast. And there's barely been a peep emerging out of that conversation. The production shingle 101 Studios, which produces Yellowstone and its various spinoffs, has investors who want to cash out at the top of the market, but nobody's willing to buy. Stephen Rails, a billionaire backer of Wes Anderson's projects, reportedly expressed interest in buying Neon, the studio behind Parasite and I, Tonya, but backed out at the last moment. But most shocking of all was the report that David Devins, a former executive at Showtime, had come to Paramount with a $3 billion offer to buy the Showtime cable network and got rejected. And that's not even the craziest bit. Two years ago, Paramount rejected a $6 billion offer for Showtime from Blackstone, the investment firm behind Candle Media. What were they thinking? They are literally killing Showtime by rebranding it and merging it into Paramount+. Plus. And that's better than taking a $3 billion offer? You know, we try and be fair on these things, and we also kind of try and unearth the logic behind the decision-making. When we learned about this story, we were just mystified because there is no logical explanation for what's happening here. I mean, the $6 billion offer a couple of years ago, you know, it's the pandemic. They don't know what's going to happen next. I can get that. But the $3 billion offer within the last few months... There is 0% reason to turn that down. Zero. You take that money, period, with a smile on your face and a song in your heart. Yeah, what's happening here is that Hollywood is finally topping out after years of growth. I've been a fan of FX's John Langraff for years. He's the guy who coined the term peak TV. When he talks about peak TV, he's talking about the ever-increasing amount of content that's being created. This year at the annual Television Critics Association conference, he announced that we were reaching the end of peak TV. Granted, He's been saying that for a couple of years now, but he's got metrics to prove it. This is not a prognostication. This is based on data. His peak TV reports are always couched in data. What he says is that the ever-growing number of original shows has reached its peak and is leveling out. We hit 599 original shows in 2022. I guess we'll never see 600. We see this every week when we do our What's New and Streaming podcast. There aren't nearly as many shows as there used to be, and things are about to come to a head with the Writers Guild of America as there's an impending strike that at this point seems inevitable. When that happens, Hollywood's going to full-on implode. Now, granted, I've been avoiding talk of the writer's strike for weeks now. David keeps vetoing me, but I think it's time. No, it's not. Veto. No. <laughs> we got it, David. If we don't talk about it now, the strike will be over before we have the conversation. Writers punted in their last negotiation with Hollywood Studios because of the pandemic, but it's becoming increasingly obvious that this is their last best hope to come to a fair deal with the studios. It's widely believed that in under two months... We're actually a lot closer to one month now. Hollywood writers are going to go on strike. The irony is that despite an ever-increasing number of original shows, 599 in 2022, as I just mentioned, there is less work and less money for writers. A lot of that has to do with residuals, and that's squarely due to streaming. Yeah, I mean, it's something we've mentioned before, and it's mostly because of Bob Iger at Disney. Streaming services are no longer paying creatives, you know, the actors, the writers, the producers, etc., for residuals for the projects they work on. So because of that, 
everybody wants to get paid up front now, don't they, Roll? Yeah, it makes sense in one way, because if they were still paying residuals, then the more somebody watched of a show, the more a studio would have to pay the creatives for that. And and that's not really a paradigm that the studios want to get in. They don't want to be telling you, watch the show, but don't watch it five times, because then we have to pay for it five times. It is... A counterintuitive argument. So what they do is they give you a large lump sum payment in advance that is supposed to be a substitute for those residuals. The bad news is that TV seasons on streamers are usually six, eight, ten episodes long. So writers have to find multiple projects every year when before they can work on a single show for a whole year. Don't get me wrong. There is definitely an upside to the no residual plan as creatives get money, whether their show is a hit or not. And they don't have to get into this whole fight with the studios about secret ratings and backroom deals and self-dealing, things that we saw previously with the X-Files and Bones. Now you just get this great big check in advance and that's it. But studios have found other ways to screw writers with things called mini rooms, I'm not going to get into the details of it, and exclusivity contracts, which keep writers from working on other projects until their current show is canceled, which means that even though you're only worked on a show that's six or eight episodes long, you might not be able to work on anything else for a year before the announcement comes out that your show is canceled. The writers are in no mood to compromise and the studios don't look like they're ready to give in either. Yeah, we can actually just take this to a larger expansion, which is the anti-work subreddit has just become a Hollywood thing as well. It's us against them and workers versus corporations and everybody's taking sides. Well, if we're honest about it, that means there's probably a nuclear winner in the offing, isn't there? Yeah, the strike is likely to be long and it's going to be tough on Hollywood, but not necessarily for streamers. Streamers, especially those who produce international content, may be largely insulated from the strike. Studios that produce content outside the United States may barely bat an eye if there's a writer's strike. And that's going to introduce a whole new variable. A writer's strike could cripple American-based studios like Warner Brothers, Universal, and Paramount, while streamers like Netflix are just going to continue to grow and may even benefit from the collapse of these American studios. And this is where I get to the point of why I've been putting off this conversation. I feel like the headlines on these conversations tend towards the dramatic and always, oh, somebody's in jeopardy, somebody's in peril. These corporations will survive. They will move on, just like the writers will live their lives. There's going to be a lot of harsh things said, but eventually writers need the work, corporations need the content, they'll come together on this. But adjustments do need to be made because the previous model has been completely thrown out and it was never really discussed how the new one should evolve. And that's what we're looking at here. See, it is funny though how you mentioned that Iger seems to be pro lump sum ahead of time because the, one of the reasons HBO Max was killing content was so that they didn't have to pay the residuals for airing shows that had basically been completely finished. So that won't make him very happy then if this if that's part of the the new agreement when this eventually does get resolved. Yeah, as a matter of fact, at the uh, Morgan Stanley conference the other day, Iger was acknowledging the fact that there are ramifications from this that nobody had really anticipated when they should have. If you're not paying people residuals, they're obviously going to say, if you're not going to give me a recurring stipend, you need to pay me more up front. And it is causing a massive, and I mean a staggering ballooning in the cost of production. And Tim, I'm, I'm not joking when I say what we're going to start seeing is $300 million productions in Hollywood. I mean, oh, wow. seriously. 
it's inevitable at this point. One of my favorite stories involves Skip Carey, who was the longtime voice of the Atlanta Braves. He participated in The Slugger's Wife, a movie you've never heard of from the 1980s with Rebecca DeMornay. He played the voice of the Atlanta Braves in that film, and he recited dialogue. And then 25 years later, he was still getting $15 checks in the mail for basically two lines of dialogue. That's how this has always worked is you get paid for your work repeatedly year after year, even though if it's, you know, really small numbers. But for a lot of really good actors, that money adds up massively. Now it's gone. Something has to be done to adjust that. And for whatever reason, studios didn't really expect the talent to figure that out, which is just maddening to me. The math ultimately didn't work out because those $15 checks that come every month or every year accrue over a number of years and decades. Now they have to pay all of that up front before the money has materialized for the studio. So it is immediate money they have to pay out now off of their balance books when previously they could have paid that out in increments over a number of years. And the worst part is they're having to pay more up front at the time where they're suffering the worst capital flow. So on top of everything else, they've taken a problem that was long-term and they've turned it into a short-term one when they're most vulnerable. So mistakes were made. There is, of course, a case for why residuals don't work in a streaming environment. And that largely has to do with the more something gets viewed, the more you have to pay. The analogy here is music, where a streaming service like Spotify needs to pay the record labels every time a song gets played. Now, the difference here is that the data that Spotify has on how much music gets played is not only available to the record labels, it's available publicly. You can go to Spotify and find out what the hottest songs are all the time. You can go to other streaming services like Apple Music or YouTube Music and see how popular certain songs are. Streamers are, by and large, very insular. They do not tell anyone. And so if we want the return of residuals, which honestly I don't think is going to happen, then these streamers have to be more forthcoming about how much viewing there is of their shows. And that's not something that Netflix is going to budge on. That's not something any streamer is going to budge on. And even if they were, how much can we trust them? Honestly, I'm shocked that record labels trust Spotify when Spotify says this popular new Harry Styles song has been played so many times. How do we know that that was genuine. That is really the basis of all these residual lawsuits, like the X-Files lawsuit or the Bones lawsuit. No, we need to find a paradigm that works for everybody. And right now, I'm not seeing one that's going to make everybody happy. So, Raul, Paramount may be hesitant to sell Showtime, but there is something they do want to sell, right? Right. If you could believe it, Paramount doesn't have two streaming services. They don't even have three streaming services. They have at least four. That's Paramount Plus, Showtime, Pluto TV, and BET Plus. But they may be looking to clean house. Paramount is looking to find a buyer for BET and its accompanying properties, including the streaming service BET Plus, which is, listen to this, a co-venture with Tyler Perry. It looks like Tyler Perry is the front runner to buy BET and BET Plus. So get ready for Tyler Perry Plus, folks. 24-7 Medea. Ooh, ooh <laughs> Medea Max. <laughs> I like that one better. Roll's not going to do a victory lap here, but he should. When that story broke, he immediately said, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Tyler Perry put in an offer. And like three hours later, they updated the story to say Tyler Perry has now entered negotiations. <laughs> it was impressive. <laughs> 
It makes sense, I suppose. Paramount has never made any efforts to merge BET and BET Plus into their main architecture. They were clearly holding it at an arm's length, presumably because they were looking to spin it off or sell it in some way, shape or form. And the news has finally broken. I think this is good for BET and BET Plus. Tyler Perry, if he becomes the owner, people generally seem to believe he's a great boss. He's great for creatives. He's uh, great for uh, the entertainment industry. And I think this would be really good news for BET, ultimately. I also want to throw in a side comment here, what you just said about infrastructure and architecture. It applies to something else. Disney has just reorganized and they've made ESPN a standalone brand. And no matter what Disney says right now, the reality is when you do this, you make it that much easier to either spin off ESPN or sell it to someone down the line. Anytime something isn't tied into your own infrastructure, it's tied off. I mean, you can just snap it off, which is what's happening with BET+. So that's something we're going to keep an eye on with ESPN. So Tim, I do believe we have some box office to talk about. Do you like scary movies? I suppose I can do with that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because Scream 6 hit hit this weekend Uh, and we have a Friday number of uh, 19.3 million, which is amazing. I mean, 5.7 million of that is Thursday night, but that's still really, really good for this franchise. Yeah, this is one of those things where I almost cringe when I think about it because they famously didn't pay one of the most established Scream stars because she's female and they didn't think she was worth it. So she quit and now they've turned around and turned it into an even bigger blockbuster. So it feels like we should reward that, but Scream's still huge, isn't it, Tim? Yeah, I was kind of really surprised by that by that Friday number. 19.3 million. I mean, that is a Creed 3 type Type of number, isn't it? So in the end, Cocaine Bear is just getting obliterated by boxers and uh, murderers, isn't it? Yeah, uh, Cocaine Bear will be at 50 million by the end of the weekend. I am a little disappointed. It dropped out of the conversation pretty pretty quickly. Uh, it actually got topped on Friday by the two other new releases this weekend, one of which I forgot was coming and one of which I didn't know existed in terms of 65, which had 4.4 million on Friday and Champions in fourth, 1.8 million. But yeah, the things are pretty good at the box office unless you're Marvel, but you know, it's still uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp will cross 200 million by the end of the, domestically by the end of the weekend. But yeah, this is all good news between Creed three last weekend scream this weekend. People want, want movies. They want to see movies in the theaters and they're willing to, to go to the theaters to see them. I mean, part of this is the byproduct of hyperinflation in movie box office tickets. We should keep that in mind whenever we have any of these discussions. But the other thing I'll add here is that 65's movie budget is such that even though it's going to make, you know, 12 or 13 million this weekend, it's looking like a financial debacle because it costs more than 50 million to exhibit. And the other thing I want to say here is while Marvel loses, Jonathan Majors wins and wins. <laughs> wins doesn't he? Yes, it is he obvious they're all about him, even if they don't know if they're all about Ant-Man, right? Right. We we want more Kang, less less Ant-Man. We'll <laughs> touch on that in a moment, but I do want to point out 65 had a Super Bowl trailer and uh yeah, that movie's bombing. Yeah, hilariously, they might have spent more on that one Super Bowl ad than the film made on its first Friday in theaters. I mean, that's like a real statistic right there. Ouch. Okay, let's go ahead and move into the ratings. Yep, we have the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, February 6th to Sunday, February 12th. Uh, it's not the most exciting of weeks, but there, there's a couple things here to, to mention. Uh, your new top show uh, on the originals chart, unsurprisingly, is you. 
Yes, you, the TV show. 1.7 billion minutes for 35 episodes. The first five episodes of the fourth season arrived on February 9th. So yeah, this only added five episodes and still came in with another 1.7 billion minutes. We're getting five more actually um, exactly a month later. They arrived on, on March 9th, the weekend that we're recording this. So we'll see it again, shoot back up the top of the list in a month if it doesn't stay there. But yeah, that that's a really big number for not that much new content. I mean, we knew this show was going to be the top show, but I pinned it out last week. That's a very solid number for just five new episodes. Yeah. I mean, using the logic we have developed for, you know, sitcoms, we probably should double that number, which means this is really closer to 3.5 million for the weekend if they had released everything. So it's, it's mm-hmm. a very strong performance. And once again, Netflix teasing the strategy of just splitting up the season just a month apart, just so we possibly get that one extra subscription renewal from, from viewers rather than drop the whole show at once. People subscribe, binge it, can't, and then cancel. You got to subscribe again if you want to see those other five, and we know you do. Mm-hmm. I do want to point out that every time I fired up my Netflix on the profile selection screen, it always would recommend you for my account. This is not a show I would watch ever, but I don't think that uh, Netflix cared. I think they wanted to recommend it for everyone. Are you sure your kids have not accessed your Netflix account? (laughs) Should I be worried? (laughs) Um, Most of the rest of originals is stuff we've seen before. Jenny and Georgia finally leaves the top spot, another 483 million minutes. So the numbers drop significantly after, after you, as that's the only really new thing on the list. Poker Face still hanging in there in third. This from Peacock, the actually only non-Netflix show on the originals chart this week. 372 million minutes for six episodes. Physical 100 continues to creep up a bit. 363 million minutes now up to six episodes as it added episodes weekly. Uh, again, just testing the waters of, you know, a staggered release rather than, than a binge for a show. It's it's curious, and we really need to analyze that one day. Wednesday in fifth, 357 million minutes. Love is Blind, 303 million minutes. Lockwood & Co., 273 million minutes. Gabby's Dollhouse in eighth, 265 million minutes. The Great British Baking Show, The Professionals, 236 million minutes. And our other new show in 10th, My Dad, The Bounty Hunter, 206 million minutes for 10 episodes. Yeah, that one looked really good in the trailer with fantastic, I'd say, Disney-like animation. I would like like to see it climb this chart, although given that it just dropped all 10 episodes and it came in at 10th place, I guess it's not going to happen. Well, it definitely- may- maybe. It, it actually, this is just a three-day number because it arrived on the 9th. And there is some uh, demographics going on here. It is a kid-oriented show. We do see Gabby's Dollhouse right there in 8th, but I'd say that the age for My Dad the Bounty Hunter is lends itself much more to tablet and mobile viewing. And so a lot yeah. of people who are expected to watch this would probably be watching it on mobile. Which, which are not, yes, which are, as we keep reminding you, are not counted in these Nielsen ratings. Yeah. Movies is still led by Black Panther Wakanda Forever with its first full week of availability, even though it had most of the week last week. And we knew it was going to drop. And I think I said, and David agreed, that we would probably check in with the, of the billion minutes. 944 million. Yeah, so, so take about it. what we expected, really. Yeah, that, that's totally fine. It, it was a absolute smash in theaters and then blew the doors off everything last week when it arrived on Disney Plus. And I'm not surprised to still see it, you know, hang on with a number that would typically crush the ratings if it was a debut. The other thing I'm kind of tracking here is whether it continues and has another 50% drop next week, mm-hmm. which would reflect the fact that, you know, it's, I hate to bring the term front loaded over to streaming, but I don't know what else to call it at this point. <laughs> um, we, we do see that to a degree. I have been looking for those those sorts of patterns as as well and they've been hard to to come by but i i do think we see it here and there it 
there's just not enough data at this point yet in terms of, of streaming. But I, I think there is to a, to a degree and we, we do sort of see it with something else uh, on, on this list. But yeah, I'm curious to see how it comes in now with, with another week now that it's not, quote, new anymore. Uh, we do have a new movie in second and with uh, a fairly impressive 898 million minutes, Your Place or Mine, the romantic comedy with Reese Witherspoon and Ashton Kutcher that premiered on February 10th. So, you know, just in time for you know Valentine's Day. I've been looking Ashton Kutcher up because I was thinking all of a sudden, on the one hand, he feels like he's been on TV forever. And then I realized he hasn't done anything consistent since The Ranch, which was that ill-fated sitcom that he did for a few years on, uh, I think it was on Netflix. Hmm. Yeah, he kind of like dropped off the face of the earth for a few years. And so this is a little bit of a return to form for him. He's, yeah, aside from his cameo in that 90s show, he hasn't been on anything for a while. This, though, wasn't really that well-reviewed, though, huh? It's like 31% positive at Rotten Tomatoes. I have skimmed through it, and there's just not a lot of meat to it now. As you know, and some of our listeners know, not really a Reese Witherspoon fan. (laughs) This feels very uh, cynical in nature. I'm curious to see how it does next week. It will have the full week and also you know, may be a Valentine's Day choice if you chose to Netflix and chill. So we will see. Minions, The Rise of Gru is third, 687 million minutes. Lyle, Lyle, Crocodile, 608 million minutes. Uh, you People, taking a big drop after its uh, two weeks of fairly impressive numbers to down to 505 million minutes in fifth. Uh, hey, speaking of Tyler Perry, I Can Do Bad All By Myself, his very first theatrical film. 261 million minutes in six. And this was not because of the news of, you know, Tyler Perry getting involved in the whole maybe uh, streaming service, thing like that. It turns out this movie showed back up on Netflix from wherever it was on February 1st. BET Plus needs to lock up those rights, damn it. Yep. Uh, something else new from Netflix in seventh, True Spirit, 248 million minutes. This is an Australian movie. Yeah, the uh, about the girl who sails around the world uh, solo. Yes, that's right. Okay. I, re- I remember from now. Okay. In eighth from Prime Video, Shotgun Wedding, 204 million minutes. Ninth, Pamela, A Love Story, 202 million minutes. And in 10th, here is the strangest one of the week, Enough, 199 million minutes for, yes, the 2002 Jennifer Lopez movie. Maybe they were searching for Shotgun Wedding on Netflix and it recommended Enough. Do you think that's they would- That's my presumption, even yeah. Though, even though you would think it would recommend some wedding movie because that's all she does anymore, but nope, this one. And Acquired is 10 shows we've seen before, led this time by, once again, New Amsterdam, 1.4 billion minutes. Yeah, we have another manifest thing going on here. Like, what the heck? They keep NBC keeps canceling shows and then they show up on Netflix and do do blockbusters. I have expect Netflix to resurrect this for one more season at this rate, even though I concluded. I just will never understand how you cancel a popular medical drama after what has happened with the last 25 to 30 years. <laughs> I mean, you're asleep at the wheel if you do this. I don't get it. I don't understand it. It's not the first time we've seen this with the show either. We've seen it with something like, what was that? Good Girls too, right? Yes. <laughs> no one knows what they're doing. If it doesn't uh, have Chicago in the title, it's canceled. Period. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dick Wolf didn't make this? Okay, get rid of it. Oh, uh, the Last of Us is still here in second, now up to 1.1 billion minutes for five episodes. So yeah, word of mouth has really taken off for, for this show. There are some fascinating statistics about how much its audience has expanded since the pilot. It is very, very well received. And really the prime takeaway from this is HBO Max is a bad brand because it's too smart and people like it. <laughs> 
other than that, it's a bunch of shows we've seen before. The Usual Suspects, NCIS, Coco Melon, Grey's Anatomy, Walking Dead, Corona Minds, Bluey, Gilmore Girls, and Friends. So yeah, not, not the most exciting of weeks. Uh, I do expect, I'm curious to see what happens with you with its full week. And then we get five more episodes in a, in a month. You know, Last of Us will just continue to, I'm curious if it continues to grow or if there is just a finite number of minutes it can get on on streaming just due to the way these metrics are monitored. And um movies are uh are movies hopefully there's nothing insane as insane as enough here next week my takeaway from this is just the volume because if you don't have at least 1.1 billion minutes you can't make the top two and if you don't have at least 500 million minutes you can't make the top 10 at all so a lot of television being streamed right now i mean a lot yeah uh, nielsen does also provide the this, the overall t- top 10 which is you know just all three lists slapped together and 10th would be minions 687 million minutes so yeah there is things are very top heavy but it is a lot still a lot of streaming going on thank you tim in our green lights and cancellations this week never one to pass up a tragedy netflix is working on a gary glitter documentary yikes no thank you yep yeah Gary Glitter was the beloved UK TV personality and musician who turned out to be a vile monster who sexually abused hundreds of people, adults and children over the span of several decades. Do not want. Mm. But in lighter and better news, Netflix has also ordered Mole Agent from creator Michael Schur and starring Ted Danson. Michael Schur is the creator of the US version of The Office. Parks and Recreation, The Good Place, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and many more beloved shows. And Ted Danson's had a spectacular career on television. The series will be an adaptation of the Oscar-nominated documentary of the same name about a retired man who gets a new lease on life when he answers an ad from a PI and becomes a mole in a secret investigation. You had me at Ken Tremendous. (laughs) (laughs) the, The online name Michael Schur uses. And Netflix has also picked up an adaptation of the hot comic book, Something is Killing the Children, about monsters and monster hunters. The plot of this actually sounds fantastic, although it it does sound very similar to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Also, Netflix has won an auction for the rights to the sci-fi terror short story, I Am Not Alone, with Jessica Chastain and Misha Green attached. So the auction came down to Netflix and Warner Brothers. Now, Misha Green has a history with Warner Brothers. She was the showrunner for Lovecraft Country on HBO. And uh, Misha Green really wanted Netflix. So what does that tell you? (laughs) I think you can infer a lot from that. David Zaslav gets another bonus? <laughs> <laughs> Correct. At Apple TV Plus, Jason Sudeikis keeps confirming what he said all along, that Ted Lasso will end with season three. But now talk has turned to the potential for spinoffs. Beard, 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 beard. Yes. <laughs> I am all in on a beard spinoff. The odds of there never being a Ted Lasso season four are roughly the same as there never being another Star Wars movie. <laughs> <laughs> and the Jason Siegel psychotherapy comedy Shrinking has been renewed for a second season. Have I mentioned lately that it's very difficult to get canceled after only one season on Apple TV Plus? Mm-hmm. Shrinking does remind me, and while I've never seen it, you guys, of course, are very familiar with it. The uh, Matthew Perry series, Go On. Oh, yes. Yeah. As uh, the Jason Siegel character here is dealing with the uh, death of his wife while also being a therapist for others who are going through traumatic experiences. There does seem to be some similarities there. Yeah. 
I like how we called it the Jason Siegel comedy instead of the Harrison Ford. Harrison comedy. Ford. <laughs> yeah. 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 Amazon Studios has cast aforementioned current hot property Jonathan Majors to star in The Understudy, the movie about a Broadway understudy willing to kill for a role reportedly has Spike Lee interested. This would reunite Lee with Majors, who previously worked together in The Five Bloods. I love that concept. I just love it. Mm -hmm. Coming next season to Only Murders in the Building. (laughs) Yep. That's right. Jonathan Majors isn't the only Creed star making deals with Amazon this week, as rumors about a Creed-verse spearheaded by star Michael B. Jordan are heating up at the studio. Yeah, you'll recall that Creed is, of course, based on the Apollo Creed character from the Rocky movies, which were produced by MGM, and Amazon bought MGM last year. After the smashing success of Creed 3, it's no surprise that talks are heating up for more movies and even series. I don't understand how it could be the Creed verse if in and of itself it's from the Rocky verse. (laughs) (laughs) In another bit of good news, the Batman Caped Crusader animated series that was in production at HBO Max before the Zaslav X fell has been picked up for two seasons at Amazon Prime. See, that's what happens when a company isn't afraid to lose billions of dollars. (laughs) How does that licensing work? There was a real chance at one point that Disney was going to have a Batman series. And that's one of those things that kind of breaks my brain thinking about. This really came down to the fact that Amazon was willing to pay the most for it. But the other thing is, this is perhaps the most subtle indictment of Zaslav is how many other companies were like, "Ooh, ooh, we'll take that because it's crazy not to want a Batman animated series. Right, Kim? Yes, especially from the people involved. Involved in this one. So, yes, agreed. Over at Disney Plus, Game of Thrones producer Brian Cogman has been brought on board as showrunner for the streamer's reimagined Zorro series. I don't remember nearly this many boobs in the old wonderful world of Disney. <laughs> and Marvel fans will be excited to hear that the Daredevil Born Again series has added John Bernthal to the cast, reprising his role as the Punisher. Hell yeah. (laughs) And dancing icon Daniel Bruhl is jumping to fashion, playing designer Carl Lagerfeld in the upcoming French Disney Plus series, Kaiser Carl. But he's going to get to dance, right? (laughs) Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Reporting on what we already knew, Variety is telling us that the Devil in the White City project at Hulu is no longer moving forward. What? <laughs> this this project is going to take decades to come to the mm, screen. Once yeah. uh once Keanu Reeves left the project, we all assumed it was DOA and evidently it was. Peacock announced this week that they're working on an eight-part scripted series titled Excellence: Eight Fights About Boxing Great Muhammad Ali. So, I love this concept, but if you'd asked me the name of the streaming service for this project, I never would have come up with Peacock. <laughs> No, I mean, seriously, there's like four networks that show all kinds of boxing. NBC, have they ever shown boxing? That's a good point. But ultimately, Peacock is trying to get into quality television, and I feel this is going to be quality television. Over at Paramount Plus, the Star Trek network with Taylor Sheridan will have one less Star Trek show after next season, as it was announced that Star Trek Discovery will be ending after season five. You scared me. I thought it was going to be Lower Decks. Don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) That's about two seasons too many for Star Trek Discovery. 
Star Trek Discovery is like a rookie of the year who then turns out to be a total scrub. Like everyone was in love with it for the first couple of seasons it was on. And then it has just gotten angrier and angrier with its fandom. (laughs) As always, we close out the show with what's been keeping us busy over the last week. And I have been reading Circe by Madeline Miller. It is based on Circe from the Odyssey and is really terrific. It tells her story and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I don't want to say much about it because it could be very spoilery very quickly, but I highly, highly recommend it. Raul, how about you? So this week I caught up on the latest season of Cobra Kai on Netflix, and it was a challenge to get through it all. The series ends with season six later this year, and I think that's for the best. It was never really a very intelligent show, but at this point, it's starting to feel a little insulting. While it was fine reconnecting with these characters from decades ago at first, I feel the story has run its course, and it's definitely time to wrap it up. They keep repeating the same tropes, uh, Dan. Daniel keeps getting baited into fights he shouldn't have. The kids keep having these massive fights in public places like the mall or the school or the pool that really should be landing them all in jail. And uh, in this season, the villain's grand scheme is rather bland and really not at all that villainous. You know that our hero is going to have his all is lost moment before he then finally rallies to victory. It becomes, or maybe it always was, so lazy. They have have set up the final season rather nicely. It's enough to keep me watching through to the end, but it's not like I'm going to be telling anybody how great Cobra Kai season five was. And Tim, how about you? Yeah, AEW Revolution, their latest pay-per-view was fantastic, actually. Even though there was one match I couldn't watch because I don't like matches where wrestlers yep. take you know forks and jab it into their opponent's forehead but a couple matches absolutely worth watching the trios match house of black versus the elite just just absolute clinic and the main the main event the iron man match with uh, mjf and brian danielson went you know as you would kind of expect uh went the full 60 minutes and then ended the tie and then as the crowd started immediately booing as they announced that and then they did the whole oh wait i'm getting word that there will be a sudden death overtime and then then you know it ended kind of how you would have expected but yeah those two matches alone were worth uh were, were worth it much like when wwe was not very good the talent was never the problem. So like the pay-per-view matches where they're able to actually, you know, do things in the ring, you know, end up being, you know, very, very good. Same, same thing here as uneven as the show has been, the talent absolutely delivers on the, on the pay-per-views. And that's, that's the case here. So it was, it was one of their, one of their best shows ever. I think even though like, yeah, skip the match if you don't like blood in your wrestling, which I don't, even though that makes David very upset when I say that. It was a phenomenal match. It, it's it, a little too graphic for my tastes, but if you like, if you enjoyed it, I'm glad. It's just not for me. The hangman literally won by hanging someone. Something, yeah, <laughs> which awkward, you know. But it's yeah. I I knew he was gonna you know he was gonna win because well that was supposed to be the end of the feud, but turns out it's not. But yeah, it, it, uh, just not not for me. Didn't didn't ruin the event for me. That's basically when I made dinner. <laughs> because <laughs> uh, i was just listening to it as you know as in uh as my brother was was watching watching it i'm like yeah i'm glad i'm not seeing the screen right now as they're just you know telling me what's uh, describing what's going on but most of the matches absolutely uh, outstanding again that, that trios match fantastic and then the, the main event very 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 good yep it was a great show and yes that trios match was super amazing 
David, what's been keeping you busy? Well, first of all, I want to add that AEW Revolution, that's as good as a pay-per-view possibly can be. And you can tell about that by the fact that even Tim is acknowledging it, which tells the story. It would be like me liking a WWE pay-per-view if that were even possible at this point. <laughs> So there's that. But uh, the main thing I watched this week was Chang can dunk. And it was kind of a frustrating experience to me because Kim was working and I was working and I had it on in the background and I kept kind of getting distracted because I was enjoying it so much. And Kim comes to the room and I'm like, hey, you should watch the rest of Chang can dunk. It's been really, really good. It's our type of film. And right around when she showed up is when it got stupid. And I mean, stupid. So it was it was a frustrating watch. It could have been better. And they made a decision that just did not work for me. And, uh, you know, it's it's no band slam is what I'll say. But at least <laughs> the revolution was amazing. Oh, can we I mean, can we give an honorable mention to the no hard feelings red band trailer? Yes, please. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so good. The people who did good boys have done. I don't know what to call it. My tutor for the 2020s. Um, <laughs> they have basically turned uh, Jennifer Lawrence into, um, <laughs> I don't even know what to say about this. Um, you know what? I'm going to get canceled if I say anything else because she's going to get canceled for doing film. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingvoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at patreon.com slash streamingvoid. Be sure to watch for us again next week. 